Bible says, verse number one, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God, our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation work in patience and patience hope and experience, uh, patience experience and experience hope. And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. We're going to come back to the love of God that we see in verse 5, but it brings us right into, right into an inserted reminder from Paul and the Holy Spirit's inspiration that we are ungodly sinners without strength. And we see this, the reminder is that Christ died. Look at verse 6. For when we were yet without strength, without strength, that usually refers to sick people. You think of the nursing home. They're, they're, they're feeble people. They're without strength. Uh, you think of it in relation to spiritual terms. You and I trying to pull ourselves out of sin. The depths of it. And we're without strength. We cannot pull ourselves out. We have no power at all. For when we were yet without strength, we like to call, uh, in due time Christ died ungodly, we like to call our sin the world or maybe uh, this uh, liberal Christianity. You can't find the right word to call it, so we'll call it that. We like to just call it, well, bad habits. Well, it's sin. We're sinners, full of sin. We don't just have bad habits like, you know, clipping our fingernails and, you know, leaving them on the kitchen table or what have you. We're not talking about that. We're talking about sin. We're sinners. And Paul's reminding us. And by the way, as a sinner, you hated holiness before you came to Christ. You hated righteousness. You were without strength. So the way that you reasoned, that failed. That was weak. The way that you thought, the way that you tried to love. Remember we read in verse number five, the love of God? Your love failed. We're going to get a glimpse of that in a minute. How many of you would have a problem helping out a friend? Who invested all of his life savings in a business. He worked long hours. And he tried the best that he could do. Sacrificed everything to make it work. And you watched him over the process of one, two, three, four. And then by the fifth year. By no fault of his own. The thing fell apart. Wouldn't you try to help that man if you were his friend? Wouldn't you have compassion on that man? You know what God does from heaven? He looks down and he sees his creation, mankind, trying to do the best they can. Trying to Make it work. Giving it all they got to merit their worth before God. 
And you know what he looks down and he does? He loves. And he gives his son knowing we're failures. That's the compassionate love of God. And the difference is, one's an earthly love, the other is a heavenly love. One is, man, you kind of like that guy. He's your friend. God looks down for his enemy. That's the deep, compassionate love that our God has. The Bible says in Romans chapter 5, we'll look at it again. For when we were yet without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. You look at this is, this is proof. These verses are proof of the nature of God's love. Not so much the proof of his love. We know God loves. It's the nature. Of his love. You imagine the old frontier days, and you've got you've got a bunch of cowboys. They're riding across the plains, and they've got a criminal with them. He's part of the pack, and as they're riding along, it's hot. The sun is blazing. Food is scarce. Water is limited. One of the cowboys looks back and they say, hey, where's Louie at? Where's Louie? They see his horse. They see his saddled up. But they look back and they don't see Louie. And everybody starts talking. Where's Louie? Oh, you mean that criminal? Oh, we think he fell back some miles ago. <laughs> Louie, oh, he's not worth 10 cents. Who cares where he's at? We see his horse. We see his saddle. Horse. We just don't see him on. He's not worth nothing. Just keep riding on. Except one of the cowboys takes it upon himself to drive back almost two hours and he finds me, the criminal, who's wanted. They're taking him with them, but they could care less if he's with them. He rescues him. The last drop of water he's got left this cowboy in his canteen, he gives it to good old criminal Louie. Musters everything he's got to save his life, drives him back to the camp, risking his own life. Desert winds blowing in your face feels like it's just cutting through so hard. The pounding heat exhausts you. The elements are slaughtering. Louis was not a good man. He wasn't your friend that tried to make something work and he put all the effort that he had into it and it failed. No, on the contrast, Louis is an ungodly man. He's somebody that you could care less about. Yet one man goes back for him. You know what Jesus Christ did? That's a picture of what he did. Now you can't take earthly analogies and only you can only do you can only but touch the love that, that I'm trying to get you to understand with this heavenly love of God the Father. But God, our heavenly Father, loves us so much while we were yet sinners. John 7, Jesus said, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. 
He that believeth on me shall never thirst. The Bible says in John 4, 14, But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. And in John 19, Jesus himself said, I thirst. When he said that, he fulfilled the prophetic prophecy found in Psalm 69. They gave me also gall for my meat, and in my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink. And everything that Christ went through on the cross. Christ died. Christ died for the undone. And everything that he went through on the cross. The slaughter. The shedding of blood. The heat exhausting him. All that they did to him. But even down to the fulfillment of every single Old Testament prophecy. He fulfilled all the cross. Even I thirst. Now that's an amazing thing. If people don't want to believe the cross of Christ, that's on them. But they miss out. They miss out because they have a complete misunderstanding of what the love of God means. Christ died for the ungodly. The way of the ungodly shall perish. And in Romans chapter number five, when we were yet without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. How many of you have heard the phrase, the total depravity of man? We should have all heard that at one point in our life. This verse speaks to the total depravity of man. Man is totally depraved. Where the theological difference is, or where the theological fight is, is on man's inability. Some will say, because man is totally depraved, he, is, he has the inability to respond to God. Others will say, and what I would say is, God has given light to every man. God is the initiator. And he has, he allowed, he, he has set it up is able to respond by faith based on the revelation of truth that God has given man. I believe that. I believe that man has the ability to respond to God. God is the center. He is the initiator. Man can respond as God initiates. But man does have some inability. You know where I really believe the inability comes into, we can all agree that man is totally depraved. Where the inability comes in is not in the inability of man to respond, but in the inability of man to change God's response. Christ died. Nothing that man can bring to God will render a different response from God before God died or before God sent his only begotten son to die on the cross to pay our sin debt. The inability is this. Man possesses the inability to be able to bring any opinion, any idea, any thought to God. 
to render God's response different, man is unable to do that. God is the initiator. God is the center. And you know what he did? Christ died. Christ died. I'm going to, you help me out. You put your name where it says ungodly. I'll put my name where it says ungodly. We're unable to prevent God's response from sending his son to die. And he did it all by a real deep theological word that this world hates and false religion. You know what it is? Grace. God did it because of his grace. Go to First Timothy. First Timothy chapter number one. Watch what it says in verse number eight. First Timothy one verse eight. But we know that the law is good if a man use it lawfully, knowing this that the law is not made for a righteous man, but for the lawless and disobedient, and here it is, for the ungodly and for sinners. Paul gives this reminder in Romans 5, 1 Timothy, we see it as well. That's why the law was made. All men are ungodly. It says for unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for whorefathers, for them that defile themselves from mankind, for men stealers, for liars, for perjured persons, and if any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine, according to the glorious gospel, of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. That's a real way of saying we're all sunk. We're all ungodly sinners. So when you look at Romans number one, it says in verse number nine, Knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man. Based on everything we say, why are all of, why are God's commandments broken? The simple reason is, we are ungodly. That's why. Romans 5, let's look at verse number 7. Romans 5, verse number 7. For scarcely, for a righteous man will one die. Yet peradventure, for a good man, some would even dare die. So we talked, I mentioned this earlier. This is the nature of earthly love. You got a law-abiding citizen? You'd want to help that guy out. You got a good friend? I mean, he's your close buddy. You make an exception for that. Talk to any military man. But you see where it says, yet peradventure for a good man? It's an interesting phrase because we hear it all the 
time. You give somebody a gospel track, I'm good. Can I talk to you about the Lord? No, I'm good. Can I tell you about Jesus? And, how, and can, can I show you from the Bible how you can pass from death to life? No, I'm good. I'm good. But it's interesting, it says, yet for adventure for a good man, some would even dare to die. When you compare that to Psalm 86, it says, for thou, Lord, art good and ready to forgive. Psalm 119, thou art good and doest good. Teach me thy statutes. Mark chapter 10, Jesus said unto him, why callest thou me good? There is none good but one, that is God. Have you ever asked yourself the question, why is Jesus telling that man not to call him good? If you don't want to acknowledge me as God, quit it with the titles. There is none good, but the text says there is none good but one. That is God. Jesus points him to God the Father. And if you want to ascribe deity to Jesus Christ, yeah, he's good. He's good. He's the good master. We see that here and in, in, in down here on our earthly carnal matters. Someone's just giving you lip service. They're just kind of trying to butter you up with a title. They don't respect you. <laughs> They're just calling you, sir. They're just calling you, boss. They're just calling you, Mr. President. You don't know who he's shaking hands with. <laughs> We're in such a mess. But we do this. I couldn't stay away from that one. It's just too easy to take this low-hanging fruit. But So Jesus is telling him, look, you're not going to ascribe to me deity. Quit it with the royal title. That's all that was. God's a jealous God. He's not sharing any of his royal titles. Who's good? God. We got that, right? You know what I'm trying to connect the dots with? Isn't it amazing when you try to tell somebody that Jesus Christ came to die for their sins? Isn't it amazing that the go-to response is, I'm good. I know we haven't thought about it like this before, but we're stealing a royal title that belongs to God. I'm not telling you to not give kids a fist bump or a high five and say, hey, good job. I'm not, I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is in the Bible, Jesus rebuked the man because he wouldn't ascribe deity to him and said only God is good. I'm saying it's rather ironic when we witness the response is not nah, good. I'm a good person. I'm a good person. Those good person tracks are good ones to give out. Some don't like them because it's like a comic, but I mean, it gets the truth out. Five times the phrase, there is none that doeth good. I read that in the Bible. That exact phrase, there is none that doeth good, shows up. It goes twice in Psalms 14, twice in Psalms 53, and then one in Romans, chapter number two. And when that phrase shows up, there is none that doeth good. It's replaced with, instead of man calling himself a name, calling himself good, it's replaced with God calling us names. We're filthy. We're abominable. In those, in those verses that I mentioned to you, we're called fools. We're 
called corrupt. We, we are said to go on aside. We're called filthy. Abominable iniquity, not righteous. Gone back. We're profitable. There's none that seeketh God. Yet, Romans chapter 5, let's go back there. But God, verse number 8, Romans 5. But God commendeth his love toward us in the while we were yet sinners. Christ died for us. You see that but God? That's the contract of the earthly love. Verse number 7. For a righteous man or for a good man. Verse number 7. But God, verse 8. That's the start of the contrast of now the heavenly love. What man can scarcely do, God can abundantly. What man can show an earthly love, God can shed abroad with heavenly love. Scarcely for man, abundant for what God gives. No earthly love can even God sending his own son, his only begotten son to die. And then it says, in verse number eight, after it says, but God, that contrast, and then it says, commendeth his love, Christ coming to die, it proves the nature of his love. We have this idea on one side is God the Father, and He's full of wrath, He's full of anger, He's full of judgment. And then we have this idea that on the other side, well, here's Christ, and He's full of compassion and He's full of love. And I'm not saying those ideas are wrong, but we conclude all of those ideas that somehow Christ came to change the wrath and the anger. Of God the Father. He didn't come to change the nature of God the Father. He came to prove the nature of God. The true nature of God is what? The Bible says it's to the beautiful short verse God is what? How can a God that's full of wrath and righteous indignation against accept it? He can't. He has to judge us. But God commended his love. His love gave. But God commended his love toward us. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It's the love of God that shows and proves his true nature and his true character. That love brings all of those thoughts and all of those ideas together. Christ didn't come to change God's attitude toward men. God's attitude towards men is the same. 
sin must be dealt with. And so God the Father dealt with it by sending God the Son to pay the sin debt. And he did it all because of heavenly love. That's why First John 4 says, He that loveth not knoweth not God. He that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God and God in him. I mean, did you ever read Romans 5, 8, but God commanded us love toward us and while we're here, it's going to Christ died for us. Did you ever read that verse and just look around town and wonder, why isn't everybody saved? What, you think you deserve rain? You think you deserve the sun to rise on? The least of God's blessings we don't deserve. Yet he bestows them on us graciously. You think you're owed another breath? You think you're owed getting up every morning? The least of God's blessings. We don't deserve. We think that we do because we're us. But we don't. Christ died. And the abundance of love bestows on us blessings eternal that we cannot, this side of heaven, comprehend. We can't comprehend. Yet we have. But over here, these little blessings that we can kind of get a hold of in our mind, we don't deserve them. He's a powerful, loving God. While we were yet sinners, that means in the act of sinning, God commends his love. You know what business owners tell their uh, employees to do today? If they're part of the ad department, they tell them, hey, I want you to run these ads to those people that are inclined to buy. Now, how many of you ever Googled a chainsaw review on Google? You type in, you know, XYZ change. And then you go to your computer later and you're on one of your social media sites. And then an ad for that chainsaw pops up. Does that happen to you? Somebody in that business told their ad manager in their ad department, hey, you tell those fellows, run these chainsaw ads to people that are inclined to buy. I mean, why, why run ads for chainsaws for someone who's looking to buy a shovel, right? You would be wasting your dollars. Aren't you glad God's in control and we're not? Because we would say, hey, bring this to someone that's inclined to buy. I got news for you. None of us are inclined to buy the gospel. None of us are inclined to hear the gospel. None of us want it. We're enemies. We're ungodly. We're undone. We're unclean. Yet God commended his love toward us and that we, while we were yet sinners, Christ died. Did anybody else get a hold of that? Christ died for you so that you can have eternal life. You can't buy it. You can't haggle for it. You can't offer equal love back. One, because you're unwilling. And two, if you were willing, we would be unable 
to render him equal love back. Man doesn't motivate God. Man's not the center of initiation. God is the center. And God's nature is love. And God's, here's that word again, God's grace does it. It's the grace of God because of the love of God. We emphasize evangelism so much because everyone has a seed of sin. And you might not have the specific sins that I have. I might not have the specific sins you have. You might not have done the specific sins that I've done. I may not have done the specific sins that you've done. Which, by the way, I'll open the can and I'll close it and maybe we'll talk deeper about it later. Be careful about saying, repent of your sins. Say, uh-oh, why do I say that? You need to repent. Repentance is part of the gospel. You must repent, except your own life lies perish. You need to repent. You tell somebody to repent of their sins. What if they repent of the five sins that they know about? And they don't repent of the other five that they don't know about. Are they saved? We need to do some defining of what repentance is. And we did, I think, three hours of that, three or four hours of that message is defining repentance and understanding it. You need to be careful because some sins you do, I will never do. Some sins I've done and will do, you might not ever do. And everybody's different because we all got different sins that so easily beset us. Some people say, you're real patient. Well, you're not around me a lot. I'm a pretty demanding person. <laughs> you need to repent and trust the Savior. Where was your trust? Repent of it. Recognize the fact that you're a sinner before a holy God. And repent. And put your full faith and trust in Jesus Christ. I know sometimes we use words. I've used that phrase before. Hey, repent of your sins. I, I know sometimes we use phrases. We use bad terminology. It's not necessarily. It's not necessarily we've got it wrong. We're just using wrong language. You've done, I've done that. We've all done that. You're just trying to care for them a little bit. Look, you've got to repent. But be careful of trying to tell someone to repent of their sin. Because you're going to be there for a while. Because once you get to page 10 of a list of sins. You stop there or you keep going. We've got a lot of them. We've got a lot of them. Now, let me ask you this You get saved, you trust Jesus Christ. What about the sins you do after you got saved? You got to go back and repent of them? Not for salvation. But you do need to repent. So there's there's some repentance now after salvation that doesn't get you resaved. You see why we need to be careful about biblical terms? We really want to get an understanding of Christ died. And you must put your full faith and trust in him. There's nothing you can do. You can make a list of all your sins and try to stop doing all of them. Christ died. Christ died.
2022 years ago, something happened that never happened before in history. Christ died. And Luke 2, 11, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Wasn't, wasn't that enough? The angels sang. Isn't that enough? No. They can all sing. But that's not enough. Christ had to die. You say, well, Christ, he lived a perfect life. Shouldn't we just look at his life and see that it models such a great example? Well, yes, we should. But no. That is not why he came. He came to die. Christ Jesus came into the world to what? Save, fill in the blank, sinner. Brother Tom spoke about this morning in the Sunday school lesson. We need to be able to say, I was sorry, and that's not, I must have a Ford and not a Chevy, or a Chevy and not a Ford, depending on what side of the car argument you're on. I'm sorry, I was a can't seem to kind of get the engine to run. Let me try that again. Let me turn the key a little harder. We just can't say the word. I was wrong. Brought it out so eloquently in the lesson. I was wrong. That's what we need to go with God with. I am a sinner. I am ungodly. And I've done wrong. Christ died to satisfy the justice of God. Whoever heard of a good man or a righteous man dying for an unworthy criminal. Go into the court system. Turn to the news. No, never mind. Don't turn. Read some history. And you know what you're going to find? Testimonies of people that want that horrible, murdering criminal dead. These school shootings and these mur mass murders and these bombings, they catch that man in the whole world. Except the, except the sicko. They want that man dead. They want justice served. You and I are that man. Don't be insulted. You're the criminal on death row, and the judge in all the courtrooms, and the whole town, the whole community. Once you executed in God's eyes, thou art the man. I am. We are. We're God. A hardened criminal. Who would die for a worthless, filthy, disgusting criminal? 
but God commendeth his love toward us. And that while a sinner, Christ died. Christ died. Christ died. Christ died. I'm going to finish with this. What did we say earlier? We talked about uh, for the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given to us. I said I'd come back to that love. If you remove the love of God, here's what you are left with. I can mark on my calendar 2,022 years ago an historical fact happened. This man, Jesus, died on the cross. And you can mark that in your calendar. You've got yourself an historical fact. If you remove the love of God, what you have done, you can make it a theological statement. Well, it's the, uh, it, it's the eternal purpose and decree of the holy righteous God. If you remove the love of God, you've got yourself a theological degree. Decree. You've got yourself a theological statement. You've got yourself a mark on a calendar. But if you remove the love of God, you strip from the gospel. And you strip from the phrase, Christ died. You know what you strip from? All of its cannot strip the love of God from the phrase Christ died. He died. It's not just an historical fact. It is not just something that we know theologically. We cannot strip the love of God. And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. I ask you this morning, have you seen his love? Have you experienced Christ died, but someday you will die. Do you have eternal hope? You can only have it one way. Jesus said, I have the way of the truth. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. If you don't know him, repent and trust him. He loves you and he died. Christ.